The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. I'm grimacing because it was such an opportunity. Possession-wise, I thought they were good, but they didn't have the cutting edge and they don't have Sam Kerr. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Welcome along to Wednesday Night Rugby. We're still relishing a weekend that has just gone by. It's been a championship with a list of firsts and also a weekend of firsts just gone by. Ireland celebrating a first ever Grand Slam being achieved in Dublin. First time ever that the under 20 Grand Slam and a senior Grand Slam have been achieved in the same season. The under 20s going back to back Grand Slams in Cork against England on Sunday afternoon. Johnny Sexton becoming the record point scorer in the Six Nations, pushing himself ahead of Ron Nogara in what was his last ever Six Nations game and also some of the other records that tumbled during the tournament fantastic record defensively Ireland conceding only 10 tries over the last two championships so plenty to uh, chew on over the last few weeks delighted to say that former Ireland captain Keith Wood is here with me Keith how are you getting on? Thank you. That all sounds perfectly perfect, doesn't it? Almost too perfect in a World Cup year. But then again, 2019 didn't go Ireland's way and I think the narrative at that point, Keith, was... Oh, Better not to peak too early in the year. Joe Schmidt has got this in hand and the form will pick up before the World Cup. This time round, it's a slightly different problem, but maybe a better problem that Ireland are the form team in the world right now coming out of the Championship. Yeah, I think the Championship went very well. I think the last 12 months have gone very well. If you flip back to 2019, the year before, we had been pretty phenomenal. And But by the time we got into 2019 in itself, things started to unspool a little. I think the opposition um, coaches looked at how we played, targeted certain players, certain plays, put us under a huge amount of pressure, pressure that we hadn't been under previously. And I think we suffered for that as well. And we we kind of looked, I won't say jaded, but we um, our, our way of going through it was going through six or seven phases and then being able to unpick a defence. We weren't getting to two phases. So we didn't seem to have a plan B. And I think we suffered for that quite heavily. This time around, it's a bit different. And I wouldn't like to totally lose the run of myself either. But, um, you know, there seems to be an awful lot more going on. And because of that, there are more people taking control, more people taking um, ownership of decision making at different times. Um, Notwithstanding that, we were very, very nervous for a lot of the first half in particular. And um, and it was it was a very strange atmosphere in the crowd because people were thinking, oh no, please don't let it happen. But, you know, I don't think the team played anywhere near as well as they would have liked to. But they got the win at the end. Yeah, I mean, if we were to reflect on, say, the last 25 minutes, you would say that Ireland played very effective and very good rugby and definitely wore England down once the 14 men started to become a bit of an issue for them and continually they were willing to bash away at the blind side which was very successful with the tries they scored in the second half I'm with you on the atmosphere being a little bit nervy and maybe that was brought by the way that England played in that first half as well Keith they seemed to win a few penalties along the way there were some Irish errors that were in there along the way as well and all of that I guess just gets the crowd thinking the Grand Slam is there to be taken but there's always that worry that maybe this is a one-dud performance at the end of a championship. That seemed to hang over the first half a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I, I think what has been forgotten by a lot is that there was a six-day turnaround and that makes a huge difference. It really does. Um, so there was very little training done during the week. And even if you're off just a couple of percent 
the passes that should go to hand don't go to hand. I mean, how often in the first half an hour did we see um, tight furlong pull a ball back for there to be no one there? And just all those things were just slightly out. That happened a good few times. Passes were forced a little bit, which were sticking in the previous matches, and um, they didn't stick in this one. And so I felt that a bit disconcerting, I have to say. Um, England's way of playing is... Um, they're infinitely happier without the ball. So they're kicking the ball away immediately. And um, I think it almost was as if we had too much ball to play with. You know, normally we 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 kind of work on scraps, but England just kick the ball down the field constantly. And I think we struggled a little bit trying to get our head around that as well. But again, when you move into the, into the second period of the game, the control that Ireland put on different elements, the discipline at rock time, um, because we we were turned over an awful lot um, by quality play from Jack Willis uh, in particular, but the we 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 had composure, you know, for for all the mistakes that were made, for the slightly frantic things of seeing Johnny Sexton going into contact four or five times in the first twenty minutes, for all of those things that we haven't seen for a while. We never seemed to panic. I mean, the, the crowd was more panicky than the guys on the field. And we just, we, we kind of were going away at the end. That's what it looked like. We looked very comfortable. And even when they were attacking on the line, the sense of comfort in the defence was pretty stark. Mm. I think some of the credit probably is to go to England as well, considering how poor they were, especially in the second half at Twickenham against France. When I mean, you've just come off the back of taking a record beating, it would have been easy for heads to go down, end of the campaign, um, not put in maybe the level of performance that we saw from England but their line speed was up they certainly came looking to make a point I felt at the eve at the weekend and for Owen Farrell particularly when it came to that little kick chase battle that went on through a lot of the first half kicked the ball very very well after coming back into the team at 10 Look I thought Farrell played well he's he's been written off consistently in um in the British press, but uh, he's a very fine player. He's a fine goal kicker and he hasn't kicked at his best this season. Um, He is able to orchestrate an awful lot of fast moving plays in Saracens. It just hasn't really clicked into a philosophy with England for a period of time. And there's been chopping and changing constantly with their players. I mean, if you look at um, the Irish setup, we are four years into a cycle or three and a half years into a cycle. And they're used to the coach and they know what the coaches want of them. Um, Eddie Jones only went, whatever it was, 15 weeks ago. But even in his last three or four years, it was like um, a turnstile of coaches that went in and out and a turnstile of players. So there's been no level of consistency of style or standard that uh, England have been trying to play with. And one of the few consistent elements has been far. So, look, I think he stood up to it pretty well. Um I thought, thought some of the other players did. I thought Tuolagi did. Um, I thought your man Ribbons that came that came on in the second row is just a bear of a man. So I think he could be someone to watch out for. I still think they're trying to find their way. I still think there's a few players coming back from injury. Um, and I also think that they play well in World Cup. So I think they're going to be very difficult anyway. They have a much easier side of the draw. Um, and But there's a potential cracker of them playing Australia um, back against Eddie Jones again in a quarter final. I think that seems a bit interesting. And you've got Eddie Jones already making comments, which is going to probably wind up the RFU, his former employers at this stage, where he's claimed over the last 24 hours, Keith, that the RFU potentially 
influenced Borthwick to put Marcus Smith in for the France game and to try and push Smith ahead of the World Cup and then pushing Farrell out either 12 or onto the bench. So, I mean, again, Eddie is stirring away even when he's in a different continent. It's pretty much all about Eddie. So. Marcus Smith, though, is it a case now at this stage when you see how well Farrell has played? And maybe, look, again, it's a case of keeping too laggy fit for the World Cup. That now at this point, because it's only a few weeks ago we were talking, Keith, about the idea of Ford maybe coming in and playing the Bortwick style at 10 and then they have a look at their options at 12. Does it seem now at this stage Marcus Smith is a long way away from the team? Because it would seem quite difficult to get back in when he doesn't have a competitive international fixture before the World Cup, even if his former club level is good from now on. Yeah, I mean, it is... Look, I think that's just a really interesting one where you're going for someone you can build a team around or you go for someone who is a maverick. I would have said Marcus Smith had both of those um, attributes. He can he can play more conservatively. He can do what is required. He kicks quite beautifully. Um, he hasn't seemed to have had any space in this international window. And, you know, he, he thrives at premiership level. And maybe the, the gap on that is something that he needs to get used to, where he can pull, you know, the players around that he wants to. He's not. He's used to playing. I, I haven't had a chance to talk about this. He's used to playing with Dom Brandt at eight, Danny Kerr at nine, uh, Aesterheisen at twelve. So they play at a frantic pace with a lot more space, and it's he causes carnage in the Premiership. Dom Brandt hasn't been anywhere near as effective as he is in the Premiership at international rugby. He has no space, and normally he's able to be powerful and get over the game line. He's been stopped on the game line. Um, there isn't that laser-like pass coming from his nine out to him. And I don't know that Marcus Smith has had a huge amount of space to play with. They've been chopping a change at who's at 12. So his comfort blanket is gone and he's playing at a higher level. So it's the requirement for him is to try and see if he can get his head around understanding the lack of space that's in international rugby over premiership rugby. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, he could again go back, play very well, like the thing was he played well with Quinns a few weeks ago when he was released back to play in the premiership. And then at the same time, he misses out in three days of preparation for the France game, where instinctively you'd be imagining, Keith, that the England, and maybe this is because we were conditioned as you know, Irish rugby fans that we've got, it's sacrosanct that once you go into camp, it's incredibly important you have as much game time um, with the players you're going to play alongside, especially if Smith's the guy who's going to be calling the plays on a weekend. And then Bortwick brings him back in and plays him even though he was away for a few days for the France game. Like, it's great to get game time into the legs and he played well that weekend, but at the same time, you would think that when you're trying to develop a system, you'd want Marcus Smith to be playing alongside the guys who were due to take the pitch at Twickenham that weekend. I think that's a very valid point. And I would say that Borthwick is um, a very new to being a solo selector. You know, he's not a solo selector, but he is the final. He is the final say. And it's he's only barely starting in that. We've watched um, far more Grizzles selectors make um, mistakes as well. I think some of the selection has been erratic. But I also think he's tried to use these matches as an opportunity to see what he has at his disposal. And... In some places, he thinks he's very short and he said he thinks the team is wholly unprepared. And so he's going to have a particularly interesting summer and um, um, and, and prep time trying to get his team into a position where he thinks that they can win matches. They don't have to play um, um, Ireland style of rugby and they won't actually, but they, they need to be far more effective than they are. And for that, I think they need some level of certainty in how they're going about it. They've had no certainty. 
Mm. The red card was a crucial moment uh, where Freddie Stewart uh, was given his marching orders just before half time. We had Brian O'Driscoll with us last night and he felt that Jakob Piper and the rest of the officiating team had been very clear in their call around the red card and their reasoning for producing a red as opposed to a yellow card. Freddie Stewart's red card has been overturned today uh, by the Six Nations Disciplinary Committee. Um, Just to give the ruling on it, so this is the quote, in his actions and in his upright positioning as he approached and came in a highly dangerous contact with the other player, uh, but the panel found that, quote, the late change in the dynamics and positioning of the opposing player, which is Hugo Keenan after it looked like he was about to spill the ball forward, uh, was the reason that it should have been yellow card as opposed to a red it's been debated back and forth Keith over the last few days and now we've got the ruling on this and he's going to be clear to go back and play club rugby what's your feeling on it now four days on well I I did a little bit on BBC Radio 4 on on, uh, Monday morning and my opinion hasn't changed since so it's quite interesting that we've all a variety of different opinions on it I didn't think it was a penalty I thought it was a horrible collision um um, with Keenan going off for HIA and not coming back on again, I thought it was almost novel in that you don't ever see anything like that happen again. Um, I thought it was ruled as by the referee as a tackle situation, and I didn't think it was a tackle situation. I think it was um, an awkward rugby collision because the ball bobbled on the ground. And, and I thought the referee's gut instinct at the start was correct, which was it was play on. And he only went back, not by the refer- but not by the touch judge coming in. He went back because of concern over Hugo Keenan, which again is appropriate. He stopped the game. So it was only when you slowed it all the way down back again. It looked like Stewart was just trying to get out of the way. You know, he didn't it, it he didn't want to make the hit. He he wasn't turning to do any damage. It was it, he did do damage. It was entirely accidental. And I think if that happens within a tackle, since we're trying to bring the, the height of a tackle down, that's a reasonable response. And if it was a straight tackle, I think, and he hit him with his arm on the head, I think it would have been a red card. But in this instance, with a bobbling ball, I actually just think he got in a bad position, but I don't think he was in a position to make a tackle. I don't think he was trying to tackle. And I thought it was an unfortunate um, rugby injury. And bear in mind... Look, I'm entirely in agreement with World Rugby and trying to lower the height and trying to get rid of the headshots. There should be no um, hits to the head, um, accidental or otherwise, it shouldn't happen. But I don't think that this one fit into that particular protocol. Yeah, and it's one of those as well. I guess the argument has been made, which was picked up on the referee, Mike, at the time, both Owen Farrell and Stuart himself, was where can I go in this circumstance? It's almost like I've committed to go for a ball which is about to become into open field and next thing I realised that Hugo Keenan's about to run into me, that really there was probably no way that Stewart can actually change his body position all that much in a split second. We're looking at, obviously, video footage that gets slowed down quite a bit. Yeah, and, and listen, Will, when, when have we last seen an incident like that? You know, this isn't something that you really legislate for. So you're trying to get into exactly what is happening in that instance. So he was either reckless couldn't see that being reckless. I actually, I thought he was shying away from the contact. I thought he was protecting himself. I, I don't think it was. Um, and I, I just look I, again. I go back to the idea. If it's if it's a straight tackle and you go high and you hit somebody with your arm and the head, it's a red card and it should be. But in that instance, it just for me, it just didn't look right. Didn't feel right. And still, and actually. 
all the referees have had different opinions. I've, I've seen Owen Doyle saying absolutely red card. I've seen Nigel Owen saying, well, they shouldn't call it reckless then because if it is reckless, it has to be red. And if it isn't, you know, that it wasn't a tackle, then it may be even not a yellow. You know, so it's that's part of the joy and the frustration of the game is that um, we're looking for certainty where none really exists. We had another former Ireland captain with us on Monday, Keith, in Kenny Cunningham, and he was purring about Dan Sheehan's two tries and the athleticism that Dan Sheehan has shown to not just shake off tackles with his upper body strength, but also the way that he can step off his feet as well. I mean, two very, very good finishes from Dan Sheehan at the weekend. Well, I'll admit I'm a pretty quiet watcher at a match, right? I'm... I'm too much, you know, watching for the for commentating on telly or for here, and you know, you tend to analyze more than get excited. But I nearly knocked over the person in front of me for Sheehan's first try. I, I think he's a joy to watch. Um, I think his pace is phenomenal. His balance is phenomenal. Um, Tulagi came in to smash him with the hope of knocking the ball out of out of his hands on the line with a really heavy hit. Um, I'd say he came off the worst for wear for it. I mean, Sheehan just. And in fairness to him, in the space of 10 minutes or so, he totally turned the dynamic of the game entirely onto Ireland. Now, we've had other players do it at different times, but he's a young guy, you know, hasn't a huge number of caps under his belt. And he showed um, a level of leadership, level of skill, pace, whatever you like. I mean, he's as good as it gets at the moment. I'm just really interested to see how far he's going to get to. And... You know, how does he change? How does he, as he gets older, you know, what happens to the style of his play? Um, but he's box office at the moment. Yeah, because it's a really interesting dynamic that's there between the three hookers in the squad right now. I would think Rob Herring is a little bit more conventional, but has been remarkably solid whenever he's been called upon to come into the team. And then Kelleher and Sheehan offer so much in the loose. It's not a bad combo to have three slightly different hookers that are available here. And we've never had that depth chart chart of that quality and um, I was delighted for Herring he comes on and he says well if the other fella can do it I can do it too and he scores you know and that was because he is the more conventional and he's not as, as big or as explosive as the other two but um, yeah I think we're well set in that position In the case of Kelleher Keith is it just a case of him staying fit at this stage or do you think he's he's good enough should he be fit to really challenge Sheen for that number two shirt I think I think Sheen has leapfrogged him without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but this is a squad. It has to be a squad. You know, um, you need to have that level and that sense of, of quality that's there. Um, I think Keller, when Keller came on the scene first, I thought it was a breath of fresh air. It was great to see him come on the scene. Um, he has been leapfrogged, but uh, he has the capability to get very, very close to him. I just think it's an ideal position. And we also know that everybody gets injured. You know, there's pretty much 25% of rugby players are injured at any one time, you know, so you're always going to get a chance and an opportunity afterwards. So, uh, you know, I'm, let's keep, keep all these guys as fit as we can possibly get them towards the World Cup. Well, I wonder if that's one of the most pleasing things for Andy Farrell over the last couple of months. You never plan for some of the injuries that have been picked up along the way. But for, let's say, Finlay Bealham to play as much rugby as he did because of Tyke Furlong's injury uh, early in the championship, he is really, really impressed. Towards the end of it, Tyke Byrne was going brilliantly. And then you see Ryan Baird coming in and getting some game time there. You know, the number nine position moved around a little bit during the championship because of injuries and Jameson Gibson Park coming back. I'm sure when he reflects on this, 
it wasn't really by design that some of these guys played in these positions, but it's worked out well uh, to get some competitive minutes into these players. No, I think it worked out very well. Um, Conan coming back in, he'd been out for a while. Tom O'Toole coming in, playing really, really well. The mixture of the hookers, uh, the changes in the centres, you know. So, like we won at the weekend. Gary Ringrose is maybe our, can't call him our most influential player. I think Johnny is our most influential player, really. Um, but he gives added defence. He gives added attack. Um, a huge amount of rugby nose on the field, which we were missing at the weekend. Um, but then Robbie Henshaw comes back in. He's been injured for ages. He plays a stormer. You know, Anki, who has been, um, wasn't great in the previous game, playing at 13. He comes back in at 12 plays his best game in a couple of years, you know. So a lot of guys did step up. Um, there is more strength and depth. I think we always need a little bit more than you think you need. Um, I like the fact that the team won, having played great rugby at the times when, when they did, and then were still pragmatic enough to, you know, cast off whatever nervous demons that they had for a period of time and, and get the results at the end. Yeah, and look, I like the way some of the older players are stepping up to the competition too. And Peter Romani is going to spring straight to mind here. He called the other back row options an absolute set of freaks a few weeks ago when he was chatting to us. And he said the difficulty of trying to uh, compete with some of these young books who've been playing so well over the last couple of seasons. But Peter Romani had a very, very good championship, I think. I thought he was a little bit quiet at the start and for a guy who is aging he got better as the tournament went on so i thought the last um um i thought last week in scotland i thought he was truly phenomenal and um and 6 days later he plays 55 or 60 minutes at a, a fairly blistering level of aggression and pace and um, he was stuck in absolutely everything as he is stuck in everything so I think he'll have to rest his weary bones for a little while and uh, and recover in time but um, I mean he's delivered hugely I mean we often talk on, on this programme about the structure around 10 but also the balance in the back row is very different um, I think Caelan Doris is world class I think he's truly phenomenal Vander Fleer is uh, his level of consistency over the last whatever it is 20 months has been truly extraordinary um and it suits them to have somebody gnarly and light like peter O'Mahony because so you've a guy who'll graft on the ground you've two guys to graft on the ground you've Caelan Doris to get over the gain line you've peter O'Mahony to get up into the air to rob opposition ball to to be a nuisance you've Ander Fleer to carry whenever it needs to i mean it's a lovely balance in that back row It brings me around nicely to, I don't know if you saw Warren Gatlin's article in The Telegraph earlier today where he's picked, he said he's picked a hypothetical if he was the Lions head coach and there was a Lions tour tomorrow, he picked his team that he would put out for the Lions. He's put 10 Irish players in there, he's put no Welsh players in there, but the pick that he's made, he's put Jack Conan at number six ahead of Peter O'Mahony when he's picking his team. Um, Conan's just signed a new contract with Leinster today as well, he's had to maybe play from the fringes a little bit more during the Six Nations. Is Conan going to be the man ahead of Peter Romani when the World Cup comes around, or is this just Warren Gatlin's uh, individual preference and his back row options? Yeah, I don't. Do you know what? I don't see it at the moment, and I don't see. Um, I actually thought the balance, even when Conan came on, was very good at that moment in time. You know, and but um, for me at the moment, I wouldn't have 
Conan as the guy to take over from Peter whenever Peter finishes. You know, I think it looks almost like Ty Byrne might go into that um, six jersey because that seems like a really good balance as well. I, I just think that it's the height, it's the the ground hugging, it's how they're balanced. Um, I can see Conan in at number eight sooner than I can see him in at number six, not ahead of Caelan Doris, mm. but as that opportunity to to take over, um, to finish out the games, elements of that. Um, his performance was good when he came came um, came on the other day. Um, he's been a bit off the mark for him, you know, and a lot of players come back off lines, tours, and it takes a long time to get to recover because it takes an awful lot out of you. And I think that's been a case for us. The plus side for that is he's got a long run in till we get to the World Cup. So you'll have him in every single match day squad, that's for certain. Yeah, I mean, you, you've called Doris world class there. Has Doris now got to the point, Keith, where he is indisputably the number eight and that he should play there as opposed to playing at six? Because there's always that option to move around, play someone else at eight and play him at six. Has Doris done enough now to be the starting eight and that's no longer a question? Yeah, I wouldn't put him at six. I think he's an eight. And I think his lines are running and uh, where it suits him. There are subtle differences and they suit him at eight. And I think he's far more effective for Ireland at eight. Mm. Two players that were picked by Gatland in his hypothetical Lions team, who we didn't pick back in 2021. He's put James Ryan in there and he's put Johnny Sexton in as his captain. So maybe that's uh, realising a mistake. When it comes to Sexton, we were chatting about it last night, Keith. He won't thank me for saying he's 38 this summer but he is still going at the same pace that he was going at in 2018 or 2019. Just watching him at the weekend, you know, huge game from emotion because he knew he was going to take the record. He knew it was his last game, probably for Ireland at the Aviva, certainly his last Six Nations game. He's going into contact. He's making things tick. He's driving his teammates. He's even admitting when he made that one mistake when it screwed off his boot at one point when he was trying to do a clearance uh, back in his own uh, 22. And at the same time, he's driving standards and playing as well as he was a few years ago, even as he approaches 38. Yeah, I mean, he can't deny he's 38. Um, so that's what he won't he won't argue with you over it. No, I, look, he's playing. Uh, I think he's playing incredibly well. I was worried about him a couple of years ago. Um, I was worried about him because he was on maybe three years ago because he was on the gain line all the time. Um, I'm not anywhere nearly uh, much as worried about him now. And um, I still think he went into too much contact the other day, but that's okay. I mean, he's he can't resist it, you know, and he was fired up. He really was fired up and he was emotional. And I can understand all of those elements. And, um, and he has led unbelievably well. And um, he drives an awful lot of standards. I think when you talk about James Ryan, James Ryan is a different player to what he was a couple of years ago. He's put on more bulk. He is um, he is putting in a lot of tackles. He is um, using his hands very well. You know, he's. I think he's a more complete player than he was before. I thought he was jaded two or three years ago. I think he'd been through a period of time where he had played every minute of every game. Um, and I don't know that he was necessarily old enough or had enough um, bulk on to be able to deal with the punishment that he was getting um, at that period of time. I just think he's matured into a far better player. And I think he looks he looks absolutely integral to this team. Um, I could also see him stuck into Like he's playing on the tight head side of the scrum. That's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's hard, hard on him, hard on the body. 
and he seems to be relishing it. So, yeah, of course he's gone on the lines for dead right. And it was a position as well, Keith, I think, on that tight head side of the second row that Joe Smith was always trying to kind of beef up a little bit, even in the early stages of his career, where you know John Klein uh, became very much favoured at that point for the physicality he could add on that side. So probably, as you say, the body shape of Ryan, and maybe just a bit more of his experience as well, has probably helped to bring him up a level in the last year or two. Well, I, I look again. I sound like I'm worrying a lot of these guys. I'm not really, but I worried a little for the fact that he was very young when he started. Um, he played a huge. He played 80 minutes in an awful lot of the games. I mean, I think did he win the first 22 or three matches that he played, including a Grand Slam and a Heineken Cup? You kind of don't want to get him off the field, but you still need to build up a body of work into the into the body to be able to take that and. Playing that number of matches takes an awful lot out of you. Um, I I kind of half think that not going on that Lions tour may have been the best thing for him. Not that it would suit him and it definitely would have affected him and would have upset him an awful lot. But he's come back from that slightly more bitter, um, slightly bigger, stronger, incredibly effective. Bundyaki joked with us at the weekend that he doesn't see Johnny Sexton actually retiring in December the way he sees it is. Johnny Sexton is playing far too well now that someone's going to have to convince him to play on uh, beyond the World Cup. Is it not, though, the perfect way to go out where everyone's going to remember Johnny Sexton, Keith, if he does retire at the end of the World Cup, going out very close to the top of his game? I I think so. I think it's the... Look, he's, he's fighting against age at this stage and there's something unbelievably wonderful about that but at some stage age is going to win so if he can do it on his terms how great would that be Mm. looking forward to the World Cup itself Brian Driscoll was saying that he never really believed in the four World Cup teams that he went with that there was actually the strength there to win the World Cup he said you're always hopeful to go as far as you possibly can but he didn't think within the group there was probably a strong enough team to win it he said last night he genuinely believes there's enough strength in this team to go on and win a World Cup would you agree with him? Um, I do, actually. I think that that would be a fair call on it. Um, I wouldn't if everybody was glorying in the Grand Slam. And we are unbelievably happy about it. But the recognition that there's an awful lot further for the team to go is one of the things that I find a bit comforting. Um, we had a few, we had a good few guys injured last weekend. And when when they all come back in again, it then becomes a pretty horrible uh, squad to have to pick for a World Cup. You're going to be leaving out some really, really good players. So um, that makes it very interesting. I do think so. I do think we have to be able to get over those nerves. Uh, uh, you know, if, the, if they come again, um, I don't think that England had the tools um, to be able to dismantle us on that nervous start but other thing, all other teams could you know yeah, I'm you thinking, that I'm thinking, against France I was going to say I'm thinking France at home it's a team who've won yeah. 20 out of 21 at home we've seen France after the Ireland game respond as well as they have and maybe they looked a little bit scratchy the first few weeks but they were impressive as they finished the championship out you, you can't afford to give a team maybe that type of performance that Ireland gave in the first half if they were to beat France on home soil if that's how the draw was to work out no, and in many respects, that turns out to be the perfect um, Six Nations for us. A Grand Slam, which it's our fourth in our history, right? That's pretty bloody amazing. And not everything was perfect, you know, so there's an awful lot to work on, I think, is is the, the piece that brings us into the World Cup with um, enough of an edge, you know, where there's nothing being taken for granted, that there's no sense of complacency setting in. 
the provincial setups are going to have to work out what they do with these under 20s but again back to back success only three players across the two squads this is two very good group of players coming together you know there's some headline players there like Sam Prendergast has been so good throughout and I'm sure now he's going to be looked at as a potential successor in the longer term to Johnny Sexton I thought young Brian Gleeson the uh, Munster player was really good got man the match of the weekends put in some big performances um, Hugh Gavin scored plenty of tries he's potentially there as a connect wing loads of talent coming through well there's already good groups of players at the provinces already it's a good problem to have that the next generation look really strong as well Keith it is. I mean, look, they were they're fantastic to to watch. Uh, I will mention another Killaloo man, Ruin Quinn, uh, on there as well. So um, he did extraordinarily well over the over the Six Nations. But I want to see them play. I want to see them get a chance. And um, the one thing that I would look at this is there's been a change in the um, in the time that an international player has to be over here before he can qualify for Ireland from three to five years. It means we need to be generating absolutely every single one of our players coming through. Um, the only way they're going to come through is if they get an opportunity to play. And whether that is for a provincial level or at um, even a heightened um, uh, AIL level, you know, they just, they need to be playing rugby. We, you know, we need to be able to see these guys progress. They obviously all need to train up because the game has become incredibly physical. They have to get bigger and stronger and all that. But, um I keep looking back to the French team. Now, they do things differently, of course, which they've always done things differently. But um, four or five years ago, they just threw in a load of 19, 20, 21-year-olds into it. And we're beginning to see that team coming through now. Um, That's an extraordinary way to do it. Um, I'd love to be able to see some of those guys getting a chance to, to put their mark down because um, you want to be able to have these. These guys are winners. So... Winning players, you know, the, you want them on every team you can have. People who've experienced that because they don't have any fear. And that team showed an awful lot. Um, I went to one of those matches. It was quite extraordinary watching them against France, against a team that were far bigger. They just never gave up and they knew exactly what it had to had to do to get the win. Yeah, oh no, some remarkable try score there as well. And they put Scotland to the absolute sword a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, our rugby coverage here on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone. They're the main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Keith, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a million. Cheers. Great to see you, Will. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.